Hi, I'm Ari. Uh, I'm Nick. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Ari. I'm Nick. And Lush Trois. Ah. It, ah. I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's French for lick yourself. And have a good time. Oh. Grab your snacks because we've got oh. another episode, but I'm not the host. Why am I talking? True. Oh, that's right. I'm in charge of this one. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Postpone, uh, the official podcast of Pwn. Remember that? Are we on 64? This is episode 64 of the Postpone podcast. We're here today to talk about the French New Wave and also one of the films from that French New Wave, that film being Contempt. But before we do that, I gotta ask my co-hosts, how y'all doing this fine uh, March Tuesday morning? I'm doing just well. Just fantastic, actually. I haven't seen my two brethren of the movie critique podcast in a minute so you know it's it's good to be back it feels like it's been a quite a while mm-hmm. it has been yes, a while it has. what about you wendelton it's good this podcast has had a little spring break we have had an even mm-hmm. little spring break but we are we're back in the swing of things yes that is true that is true hopefully we're sort of back on schedule after this we've done a couple in a row that have been oddly timed but the goal is to be back on track after this. Back on and track. Speaking of back on track, uh, the best DJ VI song. Uh-huh. Um, let's go ahead and get started with the news because we have a lot since it's been a while. There is a lot of stuff has happened in the past two weeks. So if you want to kick us off, Ari, go ahead. Yeah. So first thing I want to say is this one, this little article I have for y'all today is about Regal. They have struck a deal with Warner Brothers. If you remember that Warner Brothers, they started doing this thing in 2021 where they just start releasing films straight to their streaming service, Mm -hmm. which is HBO Max. But they struck a deal with Regal, so that's not going to continue in 2021. Actually, they're going to have another exclusivity period with the theaters, which will last about uh, 45 days, I believe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's good for theaters. They're not dead yet, I suppose. Yeah, so basically just going to go back to how it was, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, One in day. a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's shorter than... I think 45 was shorter than the original, right? It might be. I don't um, know. I, don't I forget what the original exclusivity period was before, you know, the pandemic. I want to say it was close to 100. Um, oh, it was 90. 90, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they cut it in half. Yeah. Yeah. That's Which I am math. for. Uh-huh. You're for that? Yeah. Because it means you get to watch things sooner, right? At home, yeah. yes. Yeah, okay. Because I feel like 100 or 90 is, I feel like it's a little long in my opinion. Yeah, by then you forget about the like, movie. Like a month and a half is where like you get the novelty of, oh, this is a new movie, the theater mm-hmm. is. But after mm-hmm. it's been out for, you know, two months, it's be like, is this really still in theaters? I want to watch this. I've already seen it and I want to download it at home. Yeah. True, true, yeah. yeah. That's all I have to share today in terms of news. Really? Well, speaking of theaters, Ari, Alamo Draft House, which is a theater chain, um, has filed for bankruptcy. So they're going to be shutting down uh, a few of their locations, and they're also going to be uh, acquired by Altamont Capital Partners, oh. uh, as well as affiliates of Fortress Investment Group, which is a new backer behind it Ooh. yes alamo draft house going going bankrupt i cannot say i'm familiar with them really it's 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 like a, a movie theater where 
you get your food, you get your drinks. You get your food and movie. you eat it too? I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. one of those like yeah. dinner and movie type places. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the, the island cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I will never get to go. It's Yeah, what a shame. Well, no, they're, they're going to oh, stay yeah, open. Sure. Yeah, oh, cool. it's just that their assets have been sold to Altamont Capital Partners. Oh. Known for something, maybe. <laughs> Uh, well, speaking of things that aren't dead yet, John Cleese has announced that he's writing a movie with Rob Schneider, and I... Is it because John Cleese is old? I don't know what that joke was. <laughs> Just ignore it. Um, uh-huh. okay. he's writing a movie. I don't really have much to say other than to tell you what the film's about. It's about the <laughs> emu war in Australia from the 1930s, <laughs> when Australia declared war on emus because they were overpopulating. Um, it's been recently announced he's writing it with Rob Schneider. I'm intrigued, to say the least. It's planned for... It has for... to be a comedy, right? It, it is a comedy. Is it? Um, they've apparently been working on it since 2018, and it's planned for release in 2022. Um, oh, in theaters. Yes, it, well, uh, theoretically, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do I know Rob Schneider from? Who's this guy? He, I don't know. Um, Deuce Bigelow. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I guess I don't. I don't know. I thought I knew the name. He's one of I the Happy Madison boys. He's one of the oh. Adam Sandlerites. Oh. Yeah, which is why I'm intrigued. Oh, he produced, he produced Hubie Halloween. Oh. I think he's in Hubie Halloween, too. Oh, Rob Schneider. He's the guy with, like, the weird eye in Fifty uh, First Dates, apparently. Yes, he is. He is. Uh, Haven't seen it. Don't want to. Yeah. I I mean I it, I don't know if he's gonna be in the emu war or if he's just writing it I don't really know what's going on. He's gonna on. be the emu. I hope so. I hope they're so. They're just gonna copy. They're just they're just gonna film him once dressed up as an emu and just copy paste for all of them. Uh huh. I've also just found out that John Cleese is currently doing a comedy show called Last Chance to See Me Before I Die. So. <laughs> well then. Yeah. <laughs> the joke worked. The joke worked in the end. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that aren't dead yet, um, it's, the, it's the same segue as last time, uh, but Blockbuster. Basically, some guy found a Blockbuster box uh, on the street, and uh, he decided, hey, let's, uh, let's restore us to being a Blockbuster box. So he, he fixed it up and basically put a bunch of movies in there, and now uh, you, can, you can get a movie, and the only stipulation is that you leave a movie when you pick one up. So uh, it's like one of those free libraries that you see scattered about the little books in mm-hmm. yeah boxes yeah so you, you can do this in detroit um, lovely one of the one of the interesting things about the article that i noticed is that uh some uh, some local filmmakers are using it to just give away their movies just so that <laughs> someone can oh. someone can watch them yeah yeah let's not pretend there wouldn't be multiple copies of a hot lead in there yeah exactly it'd be full <laughs> of that at this point yeah well that's they fun want all the movies yeah so it's not an but official yeah. blockbuster thing it's not. It's not. No, there's still only one more location left. Yeah. Well, good for them, I guess. Yeah, but they have VHS tapes, so uh, you can even get old movies. Yeah. Uh, um. Well, speaking of things that aren't dead yet, the Academy Awards. Oh. Okay. That was all the news. Uh, it's not all the news, but I think we should talk about the nominees before I talk about my two pieces of news that pertain okay. to the Oscars. Um, okay. 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 So, as you may or may not know, the Academy Award nominees were announced on March 15th, a little over a week ago. Look, they're interesting, to say the least. They didn't have a lot of things to pick from, and it's very obvious that that's the case. But they've managed to produce a list of films, which is all that's really expected of the Academy at this point. 
Um, <laughs> Ari or Wes, whoever wants to, if you want to go ahead and tell us what's been nominated. Mm-hmm. Should we start at the top with the, the big award? Yeah, yes. let's start with Best Picture. Okay, so for Best Original Score, the nominees <laughs> we have are The Five Bloods uh, by Terrence Blankard, uh, Mank by Trent Reznor and Atticus Rocks, uh, Minari by Emil Mosseri, News of the World by James Newton Howard, and Soul, uh, once again, by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, as well as Jean Baptiste. Now, there's no tenet. Yes, this is true. This um, is the only reason that I brought this up, because I, I have said this once, and I will stand by this, that is the best part of that movie, is the soundtrack is banging. Um, that is true and look, and, and original song it's not even the travis scott song that's so. true that's true also um what are they doing <laughs> uh but yeah i like i haven't seen any of these movies maybe they have the best soundtracks ever um uh-huh. but i feel that that was particularly gypped i have a sneaking suspicion that soul will win because mm-hmm. it's i don't know it's one other things yeah but trent Reznor and atticus ross have won a few already so i feel like they don't usually like giving repeat awards Right. They don't, I mean, they don't necessarily like to so much as they will if it's very good, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe Soul is very good. I guess we should watch it at some point. Maybe. Um. On the next, no. suppose. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, I guess other than the very... Something exploded the outside, The car just apparently. goes into the garage and man's <laughs> Um... I guess other than the very important category of best original score, maybe we wouldn't talk about best picture. Whoever mm-hmm. wants to tell oh, us about course, that. Of course, Best picture. Uh, the nominees we have are The Father. Um, I've never heard of it. Uh, it's got uh, Anthony Hopkins in it. <laughs> mm, okay, okay. It's probably fine. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which has a, uh, Daniel Kaluuya and uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, uh, The yeah. Boys. Yeah, the boys exactly. Yeah. It's it's the Get Out sequel that we've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. We have Mank, uh, which we've talked about before. That's uh, that's David Fincher, um, uh-huh. about uh, the making of Citizen King. Citizen King, yeah. Yeah, we got Minari, uh, which again I know nothing of, but eight twenty four Stephen Yun. Okay, Stephen Yun. It's probably good. I'm. It's the only movie on this list that I'm actually excited to watch. Okay, nice, nice. Uh, we got Nomadland, uh, directed by an NYU alum. So woo woo. Uh, Starring yeah. Fran. It Starring has Fran, Fran as well, yes. Um, yeah. So you already know that that's mm-hmm. a movie. Um, we got Promising mm-hmm. Young Women, which, or Promis- Promising Young Woman, which I've not heard about either. I know very little about it. I just know that Margot Robbie produced it. Mm-hmm. And it, it has Bo Burnham in it, so. Okay, then. Oh. Maybe it's a comedy, I don't know. Maybe it is, or maybe it's eighth grade. Um, yeah. And then we've also <laughs> got The Sound of Metal. Uh, mm-hmm. Which I saw. It's Riz Ahmed. Uh, he's a drummer, and then he lost his hearing. Um, yes. Is it good? It's a uh, look. It's all right, but I feel like a lot of indie art house movies don't know how to end their movies, so they just mm-hmm. end it. You know what I mean? Like I, they I just don't. Know, it, it just ends abruptly. At least that's how it feels like to me. Um, so it's all right. Um, and then we've got The Trial of the Chicago 7, directed by Aaron Sorgan, which I also saw, which I also thought was just all right. Fun. Cool. Um, so, some tight competition, yeah, I guess. Any comments by you, Ari, on uh, these movies that you have seen none of? You know what? I have heard of okay. one of them. Trial of the Chicago <laughs> yeah. 7? Is that the one? Or 
Judas no, and the Black no, Messiah? No, no, it was Judas okay. and the Black Messiah, yeah. yeah that, that, that was one of my, a lot of uh, buzz when it came out, like, a month ago or something. Yeah, one of my friends like, oh, have you seen this? It was good. And that's 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 the only thing I know about any of this. Mm-hmm. But I actually do know a little bit about the directors. Oh, do you? Yeah. Tell us. So, this is the first time, I think, ever that two directors have been nominated, two women directors have been nominated for Best Director. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Who might those yeah. be? So, uh, Chloe Zhao, which I think you said was a NYU uh, Tish alum. alum. <laughs> yeah, and then Thomas Vitterberg, David Fincher. <laughs> I thought you were saying Thomas Vinterberg is the other woman that was nominated. No, 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 no. The other woman is the next person on the list. Huh. Emerald Fennell. Fennell. She directed Promising Young Woman, and then Lee Isaac Chung for Minari is the oh. last director so okay this is also interesting so yes this is the first time that two um women have been nominated emerald uh fennell is also like decently young for a nominated director she's 35 thomas vinterberg made a a danish film he's a danish director um so that is maybe yeah. The yeah. This is a this is a lineup of interesting nominees. Is all I'll say. We got David Fincher, classic. Two women, um, two uh, Asian Americans. Speaking of two women, and a, a, this is also an important time for women, oh. or at least black women, because this is the second time ever where two black women have been nominated for best actress. If I remember you saying that earlier, I did say that. Yes. Yeah. So, that's uh. Good, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Interesting uh, nominations, at least, yeah. relatively. I usually I don't care, but I mean, two more things I want to say about uh, the nominations before I hand it off to Wes is for best adapted screenplay, we have your boy uh, Borat's subsequent movie film as a nomination, and then a bunch of like other shit like The Father Nomadland. And so, what is that adapted that from? It is adapted from the Borat character. That is officially what it, it says based huh? on the character by Sasha Baron Cohen. Yo, there's there's literally no requirements <laughs> to be an adapted screenplay. Created by the guy who made the movie. Yeah, well, I mean, mm-hmm. One Night in Miami is written by the guy that also wrote the play. Um, I mean, so yeah, that, but I just, I just mean, like, if they made a Nathan For You movie, would that be an adapted screenplay? Like, nah, well... Well, yes. Because yes. he's created that character. Everything's adapted. There are no, no rules. Real. But Nathan's character is Nathan, right? Whereas no, but Borat, I, I feel like Borat is, it's, it's somewhat different. I doubt that. Probably. It's somewhat different, like but that's Andre also if somewhere. you watch him do his comedy, you mm. know, like Eric Andre is more of a character because that's definitely not what Eric Andre is like in real life. Nathan uh. Fielder, in everything I've seen him in, interviews and otherwise, does come across as that guy, even though it is really? obviously a character. I think the fact his name is Nathan and he's playing Nathan Fielder. Maybe that's a bit more of a stretch. But also, this implies that Borat's subsequent movie film has a good screenplay. Which, like, maybe. Does it even have a screenplay, though? I thought it was just, like, yeah, stuff yeah, happens. No. I would have seen the script. This makes no sense. Like... <laughs> hey, but I have to think it's funny to see it up there. It's like, yeah, we actually, we paid Rudy Giuliani to say these lines. Yeah. Like... <laughs> and finally, I want to go through the best international feature film we got Another round uh, by Thomas Vinterberg, the same one who was rec- who Our was uh, 
nominated for Best Director. We got a Hong Kong film called Better Days, a Romanian film called Collective, The Man Who Sold His Skin is a Tunisian film, and finally, yeah, I'm not gonna, yeah, Kuvadis <laughs> Ada, film. a Bos, no, it's a Bosnia and Herzegovian film, but I'm not gonna even gonna, okay, yeah, I'm gonna give up quicker on. It's good you mentioned that yes. because um, you said a Hong Kong film was nominated, right? Yes. Obviously, Hong Kong submits their own films. They submit separate from the rest of China. I believe Taiwan also submits separately. I'm pretty sure in the past, Hong Kong movies have been nominated. But this time specifically, because Chloe Zhao was nominated and because the Hong Kong movie was nominated, which I believe, let me just check to make sure. um, Yes, Do Not Split is a documentary short which was nominated because of that. China has ordered that the Chinese national media will downplay the Oscars coverage because they're upset about the nominees. I don't know what downplay means compared to outright don't do it. Um, <laughs> I guess just whisper it when you want to talk about it. But uh-huh. um, uh, It's China, man. Are the, Os- are, are the Oscars popular in China? I can't imagine they care. Yeah, I was like, because they probably have their own awards, right? Maybe. Yeah, Americans don't even care about the BAFTAs, so why yeah. would the Chinese care about the Oscars, you yeah, know? Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, the the thing we is, we don't even care about the Oscars. I don't, yeah, that's a good <laughs> yes. Um, the the problem is though. We say um, it's been talking about it for twenty five minutes. The the problem is the Oscars likes to think that it is the movie award <clears throat> instead of an American movie award, which is what I generally consider it to be, mm-hmm. because otherwise things from other countries should win more often if it claims to be you know mm-hmm. so like but parasites a korean film not an american film so obviously it's not just american films but it's like would parasite win a bafta no it wouldn't because that's not how that works um i just think it's interesting that the academy walks this weird line of like oh we're everyone's favorite movie but we only ever watch ones that are from here you know uh-huh. yeah um so I don't care what China does. I mean, <laughs> like, they just won't watch the Academy Awards. They're not losing anything. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. As far as things that, like, you can't learn about in China, uh, I'd say the 93rd Academy Awards are not high up there on that list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, well. Uh, I'm not one for censorship, but I also... It's not even censored. It's just don't talk about it. it, it which, keep it on the down low. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Well, I can, I can go through a few more categories. Yeah, um, just speed off the actors, I guess. Yeah, quickly. Uh, another historical thing for Best Actor. Uh, first time two Asians have ever been nominated. So that'd be Riz Ahmed and Steven Yeun. Uh, and then we've also got Gary Oldman and Mank, Anthony Hopkins and The Father. Dude, I feel like Anthony Hopkins gets nominated every year. Um, uh, yeah, but maybe it's, that's just because he acts a lot. Yeah. Oh, dude, he's Welsh. I didn't know that. Good for him. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then, of course, Chadwick Boseman for Marini's uh, Black Bottom, which was his uh, final movie filmed, right? I think. Yes, I believe so. Mm-hmm. And look, he is good in it. Um, should he win? I don't know. I'll have to see all of them before I can say. But I would not be upset if Viola Davis won. She was good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What about then, the supporting uh, actor, though? The supporting actor... This is got... a hell of a category. Yeah, well, first of all... Both of the leads, as far as I can tell, in Judas and the Black Messiah, a.k.a. like Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, have both been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. So Dan Kaluuya mm-hmm. and Lakeith Stanfield for that. Um, 
I don't know why they weren't both nominated for Best Actor. I mean, like, I haven't seen that movie. Because so they, they had to nominate Anthony Hopkins. I guess so, yeah. They really yeah. didn't do that. Um, and then we've also got uh, Paul, not Rudd, but Racy uh, from Sound of Metal. Um, I don't even remember who this guy is. Uh, there's a picture on Wikipedia, so we'll never know. And then Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami and Sasha Baron Cohen. For Trial of the Chicago 7. For Trial of the Chicago 7, not for Borat. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Even though Maria Bakalova was supported, was nominated for supporting actress for Borat. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, his daughter was nominated for best supporting actress. Which I think we predicted. I'm pretty sure one of us said, "Yeah, that'll happen, probably." Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, if that's I'm the impressed. case, I'll take full credit for that. That was uh, good on us, I guess. Yeah. Great job, Nick. Great job. Yeah, I th- I'm so proud of myself. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, I mean. Looking at the other categories, it's all the stuff you'd expect. Animated feature, we got I'm su- Onward, okay, I'm Farmageddon. Onward. I'm surprised Onward was nominated. It's nominated because it's Pixar. Um, I have heard That's crazy. that... I guess Good Dinosaur was too, wasn't it? Probably. Uh, I think it was. I think it was. Dang. I think Cars 2 is the most recent Pixar to not be nominated. Oh, man. So they, they just throw them out there. I have heard that Wolf Walkers is, is great. I've heard legitimately good things about it. It's it's an Irish animated film. Um, it's the people that did Song of the Sea that was nominated a couple of years ago. Um, I wouldn't sure. be sad if that won. Farmageddon, which I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen yet. I, I have seen. Um, <laughs> I will say it is not as good as the original Sean oh, movie. What a um, tragedy. It's still pretty good. It's still a fun time, but yeah, it's not nearly as close to the highs of that one. Um, and then Soul, which will win. Um, mm-hmm. animated short films. I did see all of these because uh, I'm actually not allowed to talk about the reason why I saw them, but I saw them. One of them is called If Anything Happens, I Love You. This one will win because it's about school shootings. I believe, I mean, it's also good, but when it, when it's like something like that, it's like, oh, this is a this is a serious animated film. That's that's going to win. But Are Burrow, the serious? Um, some of them are genius loci or however it's pronounced uh, that's just a little prelude of how terrible my french is going to be for this episode um that one was fine it was definitely a, a more serious movie yes people is not for children and also not good opera is one of the most interesting things i've seen ever i'm actually surprised it was nominated it's a single head-on shot of like a giant pyramid basically it's like a cross-section of a pyramid where there's like all these little rooms where like people are doing things i don't know how to explain it other than that it's very interesting and then burrow is about a rabbit building his house and it's the only one of these that i came close to tears during it's not even sad i just liked it that much but (laughs) it's not gonna win um and then uh there was one more that i wanted to talk about but it doesn't matter yeah visual effects tenet was nominated for visual effects as was was mulan the only thing it was nominated for no production design yeah that is interesting to me that it was nominated for production design because i don't i don't get that it's just mean, places man, they built the, they built the city of the desert they, i, they built it I guess the but like no, I, feel, I, don't, I, don't, I think I, of I production design as sets more than yeah exactly i agree it, it, it it's like mission impossible like it's about the locations they go to like i, I won't argue that tenet should have been nominated for sound because conceivably it shouldn't have been but I do think they could what do you have nominated. Mean? 
point proven. Yeah, I don't know. The Oscars are th- they're just that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Borat did not get nominated for song, as we talked about earlier, which is a shame. Um, that would have been cool if they had, like. I'm not saying I, I would have wanted to win, but it just would have been cool. I believe it's not going to have a host, or if it will, they haven't announced one yet. But they have said um, Oscar ceremony bans Zoom acceptances, requires in-person attendance to receive award. So if you want to get your Oscar, we're talking to you, Fran, because we know you listen. You got to show up. Um, Wait, so are they going to tell the people beforehand that they won, or is it everyone going to show up? That's a good question. I think they have to just show up and if they want it, you know? <laughs> Interesting. So we're just going to see it, a crowd of people that are just see it sitting, like, Apparently they were they were turned off by the Golden Globes because I didn't watch it, but apparently there were um, problems. Daniel Kaluuya accepted Best Actor while his Zoom screen was muted. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so he's doing his thing, and his Zoom is turned off. Yeah, also I heard they were, like, uh, like uh, who was it? Oh, David Fincher took, like, a drink every time he lost a nomination. Yeah. Which I thought, I, I don't know, that's a little, it's a little uh, egotistical, but... But it's also, I mean, Bong Joon-ho took a shot every time he won one. So. <laughs> true, okay, true. Yeah. Um, I don't know, it'll be a thing, I guess. They yeah. gotta... They gotta show up in person, though, if they we'll want watch their some thing. Of it, maybe. I didn't know if you didn't show up, you didn't get it. No, I feel like you. Wait, 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 wait. You actually don't get it. No, it, like, it says give it you. To else? Let me let me just figure out how to word this properly. This is a Yahoo Finance article, so it's very <laughs> very poorly structured. Um, it it does not specifically say that they will not still win the award. I think it's just saying you don't get to have a speech unless okay, okay. you're there. Okay. okay. Yeah, Which, well, that makes actually, sense because no, you know what? No, no, no one Zoom. show up because then the Oscars will be 30 minutes long and they'll just like oh, list winners. Brain. Um, it says, for those of you unable to attend because of scheduling or continued uneasiness about traveling, we want you to know there will not be an option to zoom in for the show. We are going <laughs> to great lengths to provide a safe and enjoyable evening, enjoyable in all caps, for all of you in person, as well as the millions of film fans around the world, and we feel that a virtual thing will diminish those efforts. Um, Why'd they have to put enjoyable in all caps? Little sus. They're screaming it. They're screaming it at all those international feature uh, nominees. You're gonna come here, and you're gonna like it. You're gonna have fun. <laughs> gonna enjoy it. No, but like, what about yeah? What about all the international feature nominations? I feel like they're probably not gonna come. That's that's a good point because I don't know if they'll even be able to. Yeah. But it's not an exhaustive article. It literally does not even say what will happen if they don't show up. Mm-hmm. So it might be an entirely empty threat. I guess we will see. Nice. But yeah, I mean. It'll be interesting, I guess. Is that it? I guess, yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. Interesting. Speaking of interesting, you have you oh, have no. a lesson for us, don't you, Nick? Ah, uh, yes. Teach us. All right, lads. Bonjour. Welcome back Baguettes. to Nick Garage Nick's film school. Um, what did you just say? <laughs> baguette. Okay. Okay. That's um, French, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's French for baguette. <laughs> yes. For those of you who have not been paying attention, I've been doing a thing on the on my past episode, I guess, where I have been recommending basically a highlight film from a significant film wave of history, right? So I'm going to do a little bit of a history lesson, and then we talk about a specific film. 
as I said at the beginning of the episode, this week I recommended the film Contempt by Jean-Luc Godard, which is an example of the French New Wave, which is probably the most famous film wave, arguably the most important film wave, and they teach whole classes on this thing, right? My shitty little report is not going to be good. It's it's just going to give you the basics, right? But we're going to love it just the yes. same. I also don't speak French, and all of these words are going to be mispronounced. So just be ready for that. You can sit and judge me all you want, but I don't care. I've tried my best to condense it down, because even to give like the most basic overview involves naming 70 people and all of their films and talking about how their films have influenced cinema. I've tried to make it as straightforward as possible, just give you the, the most important details, right? So sit back, uh, talk if you want to, so that I don't just say words for 20 minutes, right? Please engage, and I will do my best and to enjoy. educate you. And enjoy. You're going to enjoy it. It will be enjoyable. Uh. <laughs> All right. So, I am not personally that huge on the French New Wave. And I think that for every masterpiece to come out of it, there is another film that is equally pretentious and self-important and just confusing, right? But that being said, there are also films that are fantastic that come out of it. I do like some of them, right? And I will talk about those as we go on. Needless to say, the French New Wave is effectively a turning point not just for the French film industry, but for that of the entire world. The way we look at films now is almost entirely rooted in the New Wave, as it influenced the language of film, the way movies are made, and the way they are critiqued, reviewed, and studied. And unlike the Australian New Wave, which is just kind of fun to talk about, this one... Like, it, it explains why movies are the way they are now, right? And as I was writing this, I was thinking, oh boy, Wes is going to find out why he hates movies, right? <laughs> Ari is going to find out why he hates the movies I recommend. Of course. Because um, mm-hmm. all of that can be traced back to this, because some people said, hey, those guys are doing it right, and that's debatable, <laughs> so we can talk about that. Our story begins during World War II, as all good stories do. (laughs) At the height of the German occupation of France, civil liberties, including the right to freedom of expression and freedom of the press, were severely limited. So the French resistance became a hub for many artists of all kinds at the start of the 1940s. The the, the liberation movement has all these artistic movements attached to it, right? Because all these artists were like, well, I want to make paintings, I want to make films, but I can't do that by myself, so I'm going to go... I'm gonna go work with the good guys, and they'll set me up in a little in a little club where I have like-minded people to work with. One of those clubs was the French Cinematic Liberation Committee, founded in 1943 by some French filmmakers. But it'll they... be known better by its name in French, uh, the New Wave, which is actually where <laughs> the term French New Wave came from. No. <laughs> They, they produced a film journal called Le Acron Francais. Maybe I pronounced mm. that right. I don't know. Is Francais a word? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, this is a film journal. Film journals are big in France. I guess they like reading and they like talking about movies. A prominent contributor to the journal was André Besson, I believe it's pronounced. 
a film theorist and critic who was actually mentioned in the film that we watched about we watched today he's mentioned pretty early on he's quoted um, he was a film theorist and critic who argued that films should depict objective reality, imitating life instead of warping it in the ways that prior films of the French Impressionist mm. movement did. So it's important to note, the French New Wave is not even the first French wave. It's the French New Wave because there was a French Old Wave, basically. Uh -huh. French Impressionism is more famous in the art world. You got your Monet's, you got your, right. I don't know, is Van Gogh Impressionist? I think he is. Um, yeah, is he French? He might be maybe Dutch. No, I'm pretty sure he's French. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think he's French. But anyway, Monet is definitely French. That is he's a name Dutch. that is he's French. Dutch. Whatever. Ah, uh, same thing. Um, <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Impressionism is a it encompasses all sorts of mediums. Just that the German expressionism was not limited to uh, films. It was also an architectural movement, <laughs> which is fun. The Sydney Opera House is an expressionist building, so. Oh. It's got the little the little per pointy spikes or whatever. I don't know. Uh -huh. um, That's the impression. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, the Impressionist movement was very, look at us, we're being artsy. This guy was like, nah, movies, movies should not do the work for you. They shouldn't be all fancy. The, uh, the audience should be the one interpreting the film, right? And the movie should be made objectively. It's like, here's the thing, do with it what you will, right? He was also a big influence on the developing auteur theory. So he was one of the first guys to say that the director is the author of the film, right? Before that, it was very, like, screenwriter dependent, right? They would say, written by this guy, and that's the important part. You were right, Nick. Yep. This explains a lot about why I don't like movies. <laughs> yep. And his theory was not. The director is the maker of the film. It's his vision. It's his goal. Even though the audience is interpreting... The film still needs to be made in an interesting way for the audience, right? Because he doesn't want boring films. He just wants movies that aren't single, straightforward point to it, right? Um, so he was saying you gotta you gotta use lighting, you gotta use camera work, you gotta use editing to craft your own personal vision, mm. right? So in 1951, the film journal Cahiers du Cinema, I don't know, uh, was founded by Bassan and Jacques Daniel Valcroze. Featuring scholarly essays about films, by 1960, the magazine was publishing reviews by Eric Romer, Jean-Luc Godard, Jacques Rivette, Claude Charbal, and Francois Truffaut. Truffaut notably wrote a piece in 1953 which attacked decades' worth of established French filmmakers, basically saying they were all shit and that the films depended too much on the screenwriter and not on the director. So Truffaut, who is my favorite of these directors we're going to be talking about today, he, he was very pro-director. He's like, hey... Maybe directors should be in charge. I don't know. Um, and that's that's up for debate. But mm -hmm. now that we kind of know the, the background, right? As, as all of these famous directors were writing essays, they started making their own movies, right? They're like, hey, we, we can make movies too, right? So the thing that's important about the French New Wave is it's influenced by everything. They're all fans of film. They're all like big film people. So the number of influences is like vast, but specific people who, who have been credited as major influences, early directors that had a lot of creative control uh, were basic inspirations. You got your D.W. Griffiths, you got your Buster Keatons, Eric von Stroheim, especially Charlie Chaplin. All these French people loved Charlie Chaplin for some reason, which he's fun. Yeah, he makes good movies. 
You've also got a lot of influence from German expressionists like Fritz Lang, who is in contempt, mm-hmm. and F.W. Murnau, right? So they're they're saying, hey, look at these Wait, guys who... Yes. So Fritz Lang, Lang is a real person, and he plays himself? He does yes, play himself. He's, in the, the, he's the director of Metropolis. of Metropolis. Not only is he the director oh. of Metropolis, but the reason that Metropolis is well-known today is because the French people who are writing these essays rediscovered it and said, hey, this is a really good movie. Let's talk about it. So M and Metropolis are two big influences. You might say, Metropolis, that's an insane movie. How is that somehow an influence on, oh, we make objective films? I think their point is not that movies have to be realistic. They just have to be not the stylistically um, insane, you know? Not that Metropolis isn't stylistically insane, but they looked at these movies and said, okay, there's something going on here. If, if you just present it as if it's real life, even though it's in its own world, if you present it like real life, then it comes across as a real story, right? I think that's their goal. Okay. So they were hugely influenced by Italian neorealism, which is a movement we're not going to be doing. I have not selected that one. So unfortunately, you're not going to learn about it, even ah, though it's pretty darn. good. Um, it's a movement from the 1940s, which is arguably the first time movies that were like realistic were made. Um, movies about day-to-day life in Italy, movies about, you know, the war-torn streets after, after World War II and during it. Um, you got directors like Roberto Rossellini and Vittorio De Sica, who were major influences. Um, and this realistic approach to filmmaking was like, ooh, they picked up on that. They also idolized Orson Welles, and Andre Brasson um, wrote multiple essays about Citizen Kane, and he said that the film was basically the crux of his argument for film being a legitimate art form. The, the, the thing is, is people recognized directors, they were popular, you got you know, Orson Welles and and everyone's like, hey, that guy makes good movies, but they didn't really consider the movie itself an art form. They just said, hey, that guy's making good movies in the same way that someone might make a good train, you know? It's not a piece of art. It's just a thing that works for what it does, you know? He was saying not. The film is a piece of art, and it is not only a piece of art, it is the piece of art. All these people are like, yeah, Citizen Kane, let's go. All the French people loved Citizen Kane. Okay. They also loved William Wyler, Sam Fuller, Nicholas Ray, who directed Rebel Without a Cause and is mentioned in the film Contempt, John Ford, and Alfred Hitchcock. For some reason, Alfred Hitchcock's name keeps coming up. They just idolized Alfred Hitchcock for some reason, which, you know, fair enough. Fair enough. He makes good movies. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's because he is he's kind of like the most studio the most independent studio guy like he made studio films but they were very clearly his you know there's a consistent style yeah. and that goes along with the auteur theory they're like hey all the all, all the hitchcock movies feel the same maybe all my movies have to be thematically similar right god this is so long okay are, are you following this so far yes i'm trying my best here i i've you given you some influences right yes and because there's so many influences, it becomes difficult to attribute any specific individual traits to the French New Wave because they're pulling in from all these other movies and filmmakers. It's hard to say like, oh, this is this is definitively a French New Wave trait. But there are some that can be generally applied to the New Wave as a whole. So I will give you sort of a little bit of a rundown of what, in my opinion, the French New Wave actually is. What makes a French New Wave film? 
first off, as I've said before, the director is the artist, right? From the moment the film's been written all the way through to the ending when they're editing it, the director should have full or at least significant creative control, right? So in the studio system of like the 30s and 40s in America, right, someone would write it, the script would be given by the producers to a director, right? The director is hired by the producers, and that's still kind of the case today, but it's more like, oh, let's get that guy to make it, you know, and he'll make a movie that might be good, it might be bad, but it's also just the studio's movie in a way. Um, the French people were like, nah, I'm making a movie. I'm making the whole movie from beginning to end, right? So as a result, there's a lot of very interesting creative decisions. Um, the style of these movies is a bit of a meme for film students. New wave films are marked by quick editing, jump cuts, the jump cut was invented in France during this time, uh, breaks in the 180 degree rule, repetition, flashbacks, freeze frames, tracking shots, long takes, and handheld camera work. There's a lot of fourth wall breaks. I was watching some of these movies in prep for this and I was just thinking Ari would murder me if I had recommended these because I'm watching, the, there was one movie, Weekend, which is also a Jean-Luc Godard film. They start talking about debating whether what they're currently doing is a movie or real life. And then they start telling other characters, this is a film. None of this matters. I hope you know this. Oh, it's man. like, what am I watching? Oh, oh no. Oh, now, it is interesting, though, Nick. Like, the first uh -huh. half of those features that you said uh, aren't really present in the movie we saw today. Yes. So it, th they are there somewhat. Like, there is... The, the reason I picked this film in particular, and this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, the reason I said this is the one I run, want to recommend instead of Breathless, which is what most people would have recommended because that is like the new wave film. Mm -hmm. um, I picked this because it's accessible and it also has a story that's easy to follow for the most part. A lot of these movies, Weekend does not have a story. I, w I didn't want to do that to you guys, right? Contempt, yeah. on the other hand, it's funny that it's in my opinion, his best film, because it's the film that is the least stylistically his, right? It's mm. still very much a Godard film, but it's not insane like the other ones, right? So I thought it was a good introduction. And even though it's it's not wild, it does have a lot of the things that this movement has. It does have repetition, it has flashbacks, it has narration, it has fourth wall breaks. Um, Realism, relatively, probably. Yeah, it, it it also, another thing that's common is explicit verbal references to other films. A lot of these movies just have characters talking about movies they like. That happens in this. This is literally a movie about making movies. It stars Fritz Lang, you know? Like, uh -huh. talk sense. about, you know, making use of your influences. He's just like, ah, I'll just get my favorite director to work in it, you know? They're also generally shot in location. There's very few sets. They're all pretty low budget in general. Thematically, a lot of them deal with time and existentialism and individualism. There's a lot of political themes. A lot of these people are socialists. Weekend especially is a movie about, I think it's literally just Marxism is the theme of the movie. And all these like car crashes are, are a metaphor for capitalism somehow. <laughs> Again, I did not yeah. recommend we Weekend because how do you even talk about that movie? Mm -hmm. um, this one is sort of more a conventional romance, but it does have other things going on in it. Um, and a lot of these are romances. It's Just because they're dealing with big themes doesn't mean they're not also genre movies. There are horror, French new waves, there are 
romantic French New Waves. There's so many French New Wave films. There's hundreds, right? The Australian New Wave, there's a list of movies that count, right? The French New Wave, because part of their thing is anyone can make a movie, everyone was making movies, right? Mm -hmm. So the list is maybe thousands oh my. long, right? So I'm just going to focus on the big important directors, right? Okay, yep. I'm sorry if this goes on for a while. I'm I'm doing the best I can, but I'm, nah, I'm, I'm giving you a good overview, right? Nick, I, I just need to say this right now. Yeah. I think your hair looks really good right now. Thank you. I <laughs> yeah. I I know the, the audience agrees with you. Um, yes. I like uh, it. The, the more frantic I become talking about films, the wilder my hair will get. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to look like Doc Brown by the end of this, so just get ready. Can't there wait. are lots of French New Wave directors, lots of them considered to be in in the realm, and they're working from like about 1956 through to the end of the 60s is generally considered the era of the New Wave, but most big movies come out in like late, late 50s and the early 60s, right? Um, Contempt came out in 1963, so that's like dead center. That's where m most of them are coming out on either side of that. There are two primary groupings of these directors because even though there's a stylistic like the, an overarching style to these movies there's kind of a division inside of it also there are the cahiers de cinema directors who are the ones that specifically wrote for the journal and then there are the directors of the left bank now the left bank directors their whole thing is they're a lot more experimental right and i intentionally did not recommend any movies from that group because they're insane um they're experimental generally influenced by documentaries there's a whole style called cinema verite which is the bridge between narrative filmmaking and documentary and it's a very spooky place that i didn't really want to get into because i don't even understand it my personal favorite director of the left bank and the first director i want to highlight is agne varda now when i talked about the australian new wave i did directors and i listed their movies because there are so many directors i'm just going to talk about one maybe two movies per person and not mm -hmm. that long because I want to speed through them. Mm -hmm. Agne Varda, she died fairly recently. Um, I think of her sort of as the Werner Herzog of France in that she's very, very good at making documentaries and very, very good at making narrative films. And they're kind of stylistically similar. She's very, like, let the person talk, only a little bit of narration where it's needed. Um, and then her movies are kind of filmed like documentaries but they work as narratives kind of in the same way that Herzog does arguably my favorite new wave film other than Contempt was one of hers it's called Cleo from 5 to 7 now if Wes already thought he hated these movies this is the first slice of life movie <laughs> is it this is, is it 2 hours long and is in real time from It's five actually to it seven? is in it is in real time but it's only 90 minutes um so oh, it's nice. a girl so hours are only 45 minutes long and um, she's waiting for cancer test results, and it's this this girl named Cleo. She's a singer, just kind of going through her day as she's worrying about the results of the test. She's constantly facing existential questions. She meets people who force her to consider her own mortality. High key, really good movie. Like, I kind of loved it, right? Interesting. She also made some documentaries. Um, Criterion just came out with a giant box set of all her documentaries, but I think her most famous one uh, she did a 1968 short about the Black Panthers when they were protesting the arrest of one of their leaders in Oakland. It's 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 a documentary. I mean, it's as good as documentaries be, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, 
Next up on the left bank, we've got Chris Marker, another documentarian who's most famous for La Jetée, which is the short film that 12 Monkeys is based on, which we did here on the podcast. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of great. I I look at shorts differently than features just because I find it hard to say any short is a 10 out of 10. This might be the closest that, that it comes to being a 10, though. Wow. It's, it's very experimental, and I have a low tolerance for experimental films. You might say, what's the difference between experimental and art? I don't really know. I think I just, I know it when I see it. Mm-hmm. This movie is 28 minutes long, and it's... So you're saying com- it's porn? Uh, no, no, not at all. Um, it's 28 <laughs> minutes long. <laughs> it's, it's composed of still pictures with narration and photos over it. So doing time travel with still photos is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a very unique way to tell a story i think it's the first time that something like that was done and let me just say once you've seen that every film student thinks they can make la jetée the number of times i've had to watch someone's short film and it's still photos one after the other and oh, at the man. end they go i was actually really inspired by la jetée i'm like oh really i, w- I would never have guessed that <laughs> it's it's honestly frustrating uh-huh. how often that gets said um but it's it's good um he is considered a pioneer of the video essay. He made uh, a documentary about Akira Kurosawa during the making of Ron that's quite good. Um, it's one of the more interesting documentaries about a film, I think. There's another left banker named Alain Resne? Rossin? I don't know. I don't know how to say these names. He has a sizable filmography, which includes Hiroshima Mon Amour, which is about a girl falling in love with a Japanese man. It might be good, I didn't watch it. And then he made Last Year at Marion Bad, which, my god, is... I wouldn't say it's bad, but it is one of the most frustrating things I've seen in my life because it does not care about time at all. So you look at Cleo from 5 to 7, which Agne Varda made, real time, 90 minutes, it's just everything happens in a, in sequence, right? Mm-hmm. This movie... I honestly don't know what the timeline is. I don't even know if anything that happens in it is real. It might all be a dream. There are scenes that happen twice, except one thing is a little bit different. It's basically a metaphor for memory. It's it's talking about like, oh, in memory, time works different. In movies, I don't know if time should work different, if this is going to be the result. But I do think it is worth watching just because it is, it is an interesting way to approach time. I mean, Memento works as a movie, so maybe this does too. Um, but I do think that that narrative structure is what makes it part of the core new wave films. So as I said, there are masterpieces and there are things that frustrate me to no end to watch. That was one of them. Um, Jacques Demy is probably the most accessible left bank director. He was a musical guy. He made musicals including The Umbrellas of Cherbourg which I almost picked as my recommendation, but I wanted to do something I had seen before. Uh, That movie, Umbrellas of Cherbourg, is apparently the basis for the film La La Land. La La Land is a very loose remake of that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So the ending ending is that movie, right? uh, No, the ending is American in Paris. Um, But he was heavily inspired by classic Hollywood films, including American in Paris. So it's like a a circle of influences Uh going on there. Um, really quick, there are a few important directors who are not associated with either group. They're kind of doing their own thing. 
uh, Roger Vadim, who directed what is generally considered the first New Wave film, a 1956 romantic drama called And God Created Woman, starring Brigitte Bardot, who is in the film Contempt that we watched today. Uh, I saw that, she? actually, when I, when, I looked, when I was looking at the cast earlier. I saw that there was a movie that was called that. Yes, that movie is, it's all right, but she honestly gives an incredible performance in it. Like, it, it's a solid movie, don't get me wrong. Which but, girl is it? Uh, the main girl, the blonde one. Okay. Um, yeah. She's Brigitte Bardot. Contempt. She's still it's, alive. It's contempt. Yeah, she's Johnny Contempt. probably the most mm. famous new wave actress other than Anna Karina, who I think also died recently. But Brigitte Bardot is still alive. I think she still makes movies, so good for her. Um, that movie is good. It has one of my favorite scenes of acting I think I've ever seen, though. Like, she's good. She's a, she's a good actress. Um, there's also Georges Franjou, I believe that's how that's pronounced. In 1960, he made a horror film called Eyes Without a Face, which is probably the most graphic horror film pre-1970. Like, I was surprised by some of the things that were in there. I wouldn't say it's that scary, but I am shocked by some of the stuff that it showed. And I think because of that, it was banned in most places. I, I think I read somewhere that people fainted during it at Cannes. Um, it it does feature some some wild wild stuff in that it's about uh, a girl with no face and her dad is a surgeon who is attempting to get her a new face by having his wife abduct women off the street it's pretty spooky um in mm. in theory i liked that um there's also louis mall who co-directed the silent world with jacques cousteau uh, this is a 1956 color documentary about the ocean the first color documentary about the ocean it won the palme d'or mm. and for a long time it was one of the fur it was the only documentary to win a palme d'or this guy also directed a film called zazie don le metro which is one of the stupidest movies I've seen in my life. <laughs> it's it's not terrible. It's just very, very stupid. I think I sent Wes clips from it. It's got a girl teleporting. It's oh, got yeah. more jump cuts than any other film I've seen in my life. It's it's just very dumb. But it's fun if you like dumb movies. Um, now we're at the big boys. we got two directors left. Mm. Francois Truffaut is the only French New Wave director who I can definitively say that I love every movie I've seen from him. He is most famous for The 400 Blows, but he also directed Shoot the Piano Player, which is great. He directed Jules at Gym, which is pretty good. He directed Fahrenheit 451, which I have not seen, but I've heard it's good. And he directed Day for Night, which is not technically in the new wave because it came after, but it is my favorite French movie ever. You may mm. remember Francois Truffaut appeared in a minor role in Close Encounters when we watched that, partially because Day for Night is one of Steven Spielberg's favorite movies. So he said, hey, come come be in my film. Okay. Sort of like how Jean-Luc Godard asked Fritz Lang to be in contempt. Sort of, um, yes. Sort of. Or how uh, Evan Ramirez is in... Is uh... in... <laughs> he asked me to be in, in Crowman, that's uh, true. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Um, then we reach Jean-Luc Godard, whose name is arguably synonymous with the French New Wave, if not film itself. One of the most influential directors of all time. He's the only director that I mentioned today who is not only still alive, but until three, three weeks ago, he was still actively directing. Um, but just a couple weeks ago, he announced, I'm officially retiring from making movies after making them for 70 years. He is now mm. 90 years old. Jeez. His most famous film, and probably the most important French New Wave film, is the 1960 film Breathless, which he co-wrote with Francois Truffaut. Again, that one probably could have been recommended. 
The interesting thing about Breathless is it's famous for its jump cuts, but apparently they're only in there because the guys who were producing it said it's too long. It was two hours. They wanted it to be 90 minutes. So he had shot most of it in long takes, so he just cut out parts of the long take that he thought were boring. And everyone's like, this is revolutionary. And he's like, I just did it because they told me to. (laughs) Um, Well, that's fun. He also did uh, Band of Outsiders, Vivre Sa Vie, uh, La Chinois, which is about Maoism, and Weekend, which, as I said, is one of the most insane movies. Side note about Weekend, this movie is insane. I made sure to write that down. Um, (laughs) But his best film, in my opinion, and my recommendation for today, is the 1963 romantic drama Contempt. Did you learn anything from that? Yes. yes. Quite All a right. bit. Yeah, I would say so. That took me so long to write. Yeah, yeah. No, that, <laughs> and, that was fun. And, I, I love these history lessons. I think I said I that like last the organization, time, too. It was it, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Better than half of our professors. I, I wish you could see mm-hmm. some of the stuff that I had to watch for this, because I do try to watch other movies to go along with mm, the nice. wave. I didn't get around to as many as I wanted to, partially because I reached a point where I couldn't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they were just too too much. But I did watch a lot of very, very good movies. Um, These talks would make very good video essays. Probably better video essays than audio. <laughs> but yeah, I do. I do my best. Yeah, I, I, I guess actually really quick, I'll say why I picked this one. I, I alluded to it earlier, but I just think this is one of the more accessible ones. My dad loves this movie, and he said, Nick, watch Contempt, and I watched it, and it didn't really do it for me. I kind of just thought, oh, that was good, and then it kind of just as I thought about it over time, I decided uh, maybe that was better than I thought it was the first time, so I kind of did recommend it just assuming I liked it a lot, <laughs> and luckily I was right. I It did get better in my brain after I thought about it more, but... I think before I give my proper opinion, I want to hear it from you guys because I've just said a lot of words. I'm most interested to see what Ari has to say because as I was watching these movies, I reached a point where I legitimately started thinking, I think Ari might never like a movie I recommend ever again. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've reached a point where I just talk about movies he doesn't like. So I'm interested to see if I'm either true or if I'll be proven wrong on this one. So Ari, I want to hear what you think of the film Contempt. Yeah, I didn't really like it that much, not gonna lie. I expected this. I figured because you didn't like In the Mood for Love that much. I was watching no, I this and not. thinking, uh, he's just going to think this is the same as In the Mood for Love. I mean, they're both boring. Uh-huh. And this one was very boring. Mm-hmm. However, oh. the redeeming thing is the door. That door is fantastic. <laughs> the door with the hole in the middle that he walks through and opens. Yeah, there's that, a door with that a was large... Hilarious. It's like a submarine door, basically. Wait, yeah. wait where? There's in his what? house is a door that has... It's just... It's like it's like the frame of a door. And he could walk through the door without opening it. But he opens it anyways and walks <laughs> through it. It's I don't so even remember funny. this, but that, that It was is... amazing. Wow. Because he, he walked through three times. Once he opened it... Uh-huh. Once he walked through it without and opening it. The third it. time he opened it and walked through it. And once, when he going in one direction, he opens it and walks through it, which is making it more inconvenient for him. I thought that was hilarious. I'm not sure if how funny that was supposed to be, but I thought it was hilarious. I'll, I'll buy you the door someday, Ari. 
That'd be that'll sick. be my that'll be my my wedding present too. Is just a door with a hole in it. Yes, um, but it's really nothing happens, I guess, at all. Cause it's just it's luckily it's not that long, but it feels pretty damn long. Um, the characters fine. The mm-hmm. American, I would knock it, but I'm like, you know what? This is what Americans are, I guess. Is it? I no, think it's not at all. I think but it is specifically supposed funny. to be a producer because I'll, I'll get into the making of. I think it is just supposed to be the actual guy that produced the film. He's making fun of him to his face by having this guy play the producer of the film. Really? Because um, he's just like Lily, just a terrible person in every way. But whatever. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What bugged me is just. The whole movie was, why do you hate me? I don't uh-huh. hate you. Fine, you're right, you're smart, but I won't tell you why. Why? I don't want to talk about it. This goes on for, they're in their room for, it feels like, half the movie. Just like, in oh, the hotel. Oh, it's, it's at least half the movie. And they're just going back and talking. He's like, and then he, she gets to the point where, like, okay, I don't want to sleep with you. She takes the covers, decides she's going to sleep on the couch and sleep separately. And then <laughs> she starts making an argument that she wasn't even mad it was just the window open and it was just so annoying and slow and then they started talking there was like a voiceover narration about what they meant by their feelings and i was so confused and it wasn't worth See, that it. that is more french new wave than other parts of the movie when that happened i'm like okay so this is stylistically similar at least that well, happens I will in other say, ones is I loved all the sets. It was just cool. Like, the place at the end was gorgeous. Not just, like, mm-hmm. the locations and stuff. Um, but there's this weird love <laughs> dynamic going on. I always call it love triangle, but he doesn't really... I don't know if he likes the, direct, the producer's assistant. I don't think she likes the producer at all. Or maybe she mm-hmm. does. And then the, the ends in a way that I felt like I should be pissed at, but I was like, yeah, sure, you know, why not? At that point, you were just like, at least it's over. Interesting. I, I got to that point and thought, oh, he's not going to like that. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it as much as I would have. I don't know if I'm just desensitized, because I feel like maybe if I watched that like a few months ago, that would have pissed me off. <laughs> it's it's possible. It might just be because you didn't care about the rest of the movie, though. You're like, uh, okay. No, I didn't care at all. All right, interesting. None of it makes sense. Uh-huh. All right, well. <laughs> Sorry. Nah, yeah. I, that I, I had you go first for that reason. I I will say, my excuse this season is I'm teaching you. Yeah. Other seasons I might care more, but this is like ah, where you're not gonna like yeah. every movie in film school, you know? Yeah. I mean, if I don't en- like the movie, that doesn't mean I don't enjoy it for the podcast, and you know, I, I'm glad I watched it in the end because uh-huh. you know, because now I feel you like know I'm not being to educated. watch. <laughs> Yes. No, you know not to watch the other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I did go easy on you with this, so... I guess the point of this is if you like the one I recommend, watch the other ones. But, yeah, if you don't like it, don't watch don't, them. <laughs> then yeah. maybe you'll like Weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Wes, tell us what you think of Contempt. I shall tell us what uh-huh. I think of Contempt. Um, look, guys. I liked this movie as much as I hated it, Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, just it. There's so much stuff 
that I did like and so much that I wanted to like, but also so many things that, that annoyed me as well. Um, l- l- let's start off with, with the, the good stuff, okay? I think this, this movie looks and sounds amazing. Yeah, I, like, I know Nick mm-hmm. loves the soundtrack to this movie. I, too, uh, I so too think it, it is amazing. Um, and yeah, all the all the filming is really good. The tracking shots are well done. I mean, uh, but that that they just show you how it's done at the beginning because they're like, look, we we do a tracking shot. Here's here's us filming us doing the tracking shot, so you know how this movie is made. Um, and there's there's just multiple things in here um, where they kind of bring attention to the the filming part, or it, it this feels you know as much as it does kind of capture a realistic. Uh, sort of thing going on it feels very much like a film this is not real life um this is like th- what is happening on screen has been like uh th- tailored to the camera right and to the audience um i remember there's a part when she's laying on like her back at the villa and there's a magazine covering her butt but it's literally covering it from the camera because it's not covering it from any other angle it's like literally like slanted towards the camera and i was like this is stupid right uh-huh. like this uh, this is not... you want to see the butt yeah i i, I was like <laughs> well no i well, mean to be fair, they don't cover it in other scenes. yeah i got to see the butt at the beginning right. you know i got my fair share of butt in this movie but i'm just like have the magazine be perfectly on top or something um it's it's literally facing the camera and that i was thinking off. how reading a magazine in that position how would you even go about like <laughs> i was yeah, thinking about yeah. how that's gonna fuck you with your tan line because she's obviously up there to tan that's true. She just has too. a yeah. book on her ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, uh, I hate Jerry, uh, the producer guy. He's the worst. I mean, like Ari said, he's a terrible character, and he's probably supposed to be. Uh, but I, I hate his monologue at the beginning when he just like it, it gives a monologue to the audience of the movie about how film is dead. Um, yep. Except we're watching a film about making films, so I guess the new wave films are not dead. Um, I hate when he asks, like, to write on the girl's back, and then he literally just, like, is in, like, this, like, doggy-style position with her. I don't like that. Um, I hate his little book that he pulls out. Um, <laughs> the tiny red book. <laughs> the tiny it's, red book. I hate that. What is, is that this? Some, like, that's, that, that is the tiny, it's, it's a tiny red book. Is it a real book? Is it Are really you suggesting that's Mao's little book of sayings? No, uh, <laughs> all I wouldn't say that, but that it has to be a reference to it, right? Um, it could be a reference to it. The thing it. is, he is very not what that reference would... Uh, make Maybe sense. that's why that one's so small. It's like a phallic image of like, oh, Mao's uh, big book is red, you know? And then your little uh, red book. Yes, his Maybe. pee is he, smaller the, than Mao's It's pee not pee. even just the size of the book. It's how he managed to read it like at arm's length when it's the size <laughs> of his fingernail i don't know how he's getting anything out of there mm-hmm. there's also um maybe this is minor spoilers but there's a chekhov's gun thing that happens twice that really pisses me off um mm-hmm. it, and even more so when it comes to I, i've got stuff to say about that uh <laughs> um and yeah they, like Ari said, they just go around in circles. Um, there was a point in this movie when I was still still liking it. And, um, well, I, I hated all the part with Jerry. But everything that didn't include Jerry, I was still liking it. And then I realized that, like, this, this scene in their house is going to go on for, like, a really long time. And it goes on for, like, a really long time. Um, and I, that's when I realized that that was just the whole movie. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's when I got really disappointed because I thought this could go places, um, but they just go around in circles. 
Uh, yeah. But that being said, this probably made me feel what it was aiming to. Um, mm-hmm. It made me feel contempt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But like I said, like I said, I really like the, the filming and the, the sound. And there are parts that are good. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, like I said, I, I, I like it as much as I hate it. All right. Cool. Um, it's funny you say that, that you realize at a point that it's going to be in the house the whole time. Because I do remember when I watched it the first time, I was bored for a lot of the middle and ending. So going into it this time, I did intentionally, like, I put aside everything except my little notebook. And I was like, I'm just going to watch them and listen to everything they say. Um, and it be- it became more enjoyable when I looked at it as marriage story but good. Yeah, um, I got I got hella marriage story vibes from this one. Yeah, but like again, marriage story but good. I don't even dislike marriage story, but I I I'm when I say marriage story but good, I mean whatever Wes thought marriage story was, that's that's the version I'm going off of, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. When you say, "Oh, I realized that was going to be the entire film." I realized that and said, "Oh, this is the entire film and I was really excited, right? I think it was Waterloo when you said, oh, the battle is the only part that matters. I kind of see the bit in the room as the movie yeah. and then there's just a prologue and an epilogue. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that everything that matters in the movie happens in that scene, basically, right? Like that is where you see this marriage breaking down and I do think that's the point of the movie is to show you this this romance as it falls apart there is a lot of repeated dialogue there's a lot of things that initially don't make sense i think it's kind of just overflowing with themes to the point of it being hard to follow like i'll notice something and be like oh okay so this is an aspect and then another thing comes up and another thing and i'm like okay what matters at this point in the beginning i'm like oh this is going to be a metaphor for movies in general and then they stop doing that for a third of the movie and then it comes back at the end. I'm like, wait, but I was, yeah. what? Yeah. Right? But at the same time, I think what he was trying to do and in some ways succeeded at is this is like, this is like the climax of film history. Like when he made this, he took every single thing that came before it and either talked about it or put Fritz Lang in a movie or said, hey, this is, you know, we're going to talk about the Odyssey, the oldest story, you know, and we're remaking the oldest story. It takes all these, like, elements that came before it and turns it into something new. And I, I enjoy that aspect of it. It does kind of feel like a movie made by a person who likes movies. In the same way that Tarantino makes movies about a guy that likes movies. Except this feels less annoying than that mm-hmm. at times, you know. I mean, this is, it's the same story, really, as Casino, which is why he just took the score from this movie and put it in Casino, you know? Um, Is it the same story, though? It's not the same exact story, but it is basically about, you know, a marriage falling apart, right? That's what Casino, that's the most (laughs) simplified way of talking about Casino. I I mean, there's also, like, old Joe Pesci. If you think about it, Casino, Casino is a marriage story inside of a mob film this is a marriage story inside of a movie about movies right uh-huh. um mm. <laughs> you can say mm, all you want i think i'm right but what do you think Ari? what do you think um 
I think that it is time for a sponsor. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tom Boditz. Apparently, the hip <laughs> thing for businesses these days to do is target millennials. So, it might sound sass coming from this baby boomer, but Motel 6 is the great place for your squad to stay woke or asleep. The updated rooms are hashtag blessed, contemporary floors, bedding, and flat screen TVs that are totally on fleek. Plus, their prices are always low AF. I'm Todd Boddett, and we'll keep it lit for you. Book online at motel6.com. Okay. Alright, was that real? Because I would not be surprised if that was a real thing that they were giving the sponsors. Yeah, it's a, um, yeah, yeah, it was. I think so. I looked up uh, ad reads before the episode, and, wanted to, and this is the first one I found. Dude, I knew it. I was like, I was like, this is this is totally like what a company would think is is the way to do an ad. Like, I wasn't expecting it. Like, I didn't even want it to be that funny. Like, I wasn't even trying. I didn't, like this is this is better than I thought it'd be. I didn't like want it to stay be, woke, like, and by that we go something. to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that was um, great. Yeah, now we synopsize the movie. All right. Um, there are two things going on in this movie. One, Fritz Lang is directing a film. Fritz Lang plays himself, mm-hmm. and he's directing a modern version of Homer's Odyssey. You're gonna have to exp- you're gonna have to explain this subplot a bit to me also because I don't really fully understand what's going on here. Yeah, I think. Fritz Lang is making a film about the Odyssey produced by, uh, I don't remember his character name. Jerry. It's an American, oh yes, Jerry, the American producer played by Jack Palance. I just want to mention one thing about Jack Palance. He once accepted an Oscar. He got up on stage and as part of his speech, he did a one-armed push-up. Um, this old man just started doing push-ups on stage at the Oscars. So there you go. The American producer is upset because the movie is not sexy enough. And he's very upset that the script is not being followed, right? You might remember when I gave my history lesson that the new wave is based on the director, not on the script, right? Fritz Lang, beloved director of Jean-Luc Godard, apparently the only person on the entire film set he got along with was Fritz Lang. The American producer hires uh, Paul, a screenwriter, to rewrite the film. Now, I believe what is happening, I'm kind of not even doing a synopsis so much as a explaining what I think is going on. Mm-hmm. I believe that the problem is Paul is selling out. I think that is what is implied to be happening, is he is making a script for this shitty American producer and his wife is upset that he's selling out his art for money, basically. And over the course of the film, she goes from kind of being like playfully upset, like I'm upset but not upset to the point of being mad, I just think you did something stupid. So she's kind of being like, oh, with him. And over the course of their conversation in the home, I think she realizes, oh, wait, you actually are kind of a bad person to me. And then she ends up actually disliking him by the end of the film. I believe that is what's going on because she is being playful. Like she's, there's a scene where she puts on a wig and she's like hiding behind the door and you can see she's genuinely excited for him to see the wig, right? And she's like, oh, don't come in yet. And then he just says, like, oh, you're upset because I touched the secretary's ass. And she's like, I'm trying to have fun, and you're going on about why I'm upset still. 
Uh-huh. You know, she walks in and he's just like, you look bad in, in a wig. You look better as a blonde. And he's like, she's going to go sleep on the couch and he's going on and on. I think it is implied that he's just not very good to her. There are multiple lines where he'll insult her intelligence. Like there is one bit where he says, you thought of doing this thing? And she said, yeah, does that surprise you that I had a thought? You just kind of realize, oh, he doesn't really respect her as a person. She's just kind of like a trophy wife to him. Yeah, but he likes her knees. He does like her knees. <laughs> I, I, I will. Let me talk about that scene really quickly. That scene in the opening. <laughs> the first scene. Uh-huh. This film, the actual producer of the movie said to John luc Godard, there's not enough sex in it. Bri- Brigitte Bardot is, I think, one step above a sex symbol in France. Like, she's... Like, the definition of sex in France is Brigitte Bardot. (laughs) And he cast her and then did Uh. not do anything with her, right? You see her ass a couple times, maybe. But they're like, they're like, you didn't put a sex scene and you got Brigitte Bardot. So his response was to make a scene where he just lists off her physical traits and says they're good. And then that's the whole scene. It's Wait, basically but, but, okay, just an but that kind of made me re- like that made me contextualize her character. Um, so if you're saying that scene was just tacked on, then like it's not tacked on is the wrong word. For, like, that's his compromise. Basically, he said, "Okay, if I gotta add something, this is what I'll add." That's not to say that the thing he added doesn't also work as part of the film, though. He didn't. It's not like filmed separately. It is okay. written as the characters would be in that scene, and I think it's okay, to okay. the benefit of the film. It is also, though, just to appease the fact that they said, put sex in, and he said, no, but I'll put this in instead. How about that? I wouldn't be surprised if that inspired that one part in, uh, what's the Spike Lee film we watched? Yeah. Uh, when, the, when he's the, like, thank God for the right nipple. For the, yeah, thank God for the right nipple. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that's uh, uh, an inspiration for that. I wouldn't be surprised. But, yeah, he's just saying, oh, I like all these things about you that are physical, right? And he never really says anything else in the movie about why he likes her. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on. And then he thinks, oh, you're upset because I let you get in the car with the producer. Oh, you're upset because I was talking to the girl instead of washing my hands. Oh, you're upset because of this, except because of this. The only things he ever assumes she's upset about are, oh, you're flirting with someone or, oh, I'm flirting with someone. Like, it's not mental things it's just oh you're jealous you know i think that's part of why she's upset with him is she thinks oh you you don't believe me capable of being upset about anything other than other girls and other guys right i I even noticed that like when uh uh when they're filming on the boat um he's like yeah you can go back ahead and i'll just talk about the odyssey with fritz long it's like oh it's like you don't think i'm worthy to discuss like a fine art exactly so it is in my opinion, she's kind of the protagonist of the film. Like, she's the one you're supposed to sympathize for. And it's a shame that in order to eventually get across the point, like, okay, we're done, I don't like you anymore, she goes off with Jack Palance, the producer, and immediately dies in a car crash. What I was thinking, as I, I knew that happened at the end when I rewatched it, other than that first scene where they're talking, when she first comes in to the actual <clears throat> plot line, and she's walking down the stairs... Jack Palance drives a car in between them before she can embrace him. And I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe maybe that's a little bit of symbolism is that Jack Palance is going to stroll up in his car and get in the middle of their, their love affair, you know? Because he drives past her and goes, hey, baby, why don't well, you get on it? It wasn't very subtle about it. I'm not saying it's subtle, but like, it's, the first it's still thing he theme. says, like, oh, I hear you have a hot wife. And also he's a bad driver. So 
I believe that's the plot. And then at the end, his wife's dead, but Fritz Lang is going to keep on making his film because he's Fritz Lang and he's got to love that German industrialism. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so yes, I believe that is what's going on as as an explanation of why she... I think I'm, I'm going to kind of go off into a little bit of speculation here just because maybe this is a translation thing. I feel like the word contempt is worse than hate. Like, it's not just, oh, I dislike you. It's, I can't stand you. Like, if you have contempt for something, it's like, it's just disgust more than hate at that point. <laughs> so I think the fact that by the end of the movie, she's feeling not even just distaste, but disgust with him is kind of a, a big thing, you know? Because at the beginning, she clearly likes him. She's like, oh, you think I'm pretty, right? And she's being all playful with him. And then eventually she's like, wait, no, I don't like you at all, really. I detest you. I detest you, yes. Um, Je detest. And in the beginning, she says, oh, oh, do you love me? He says, yeah, tragically, I love you. Tragic? Tragedy? This is a tragedy. I no. don't know. <laughs> nah. Also, I think it is very, very vaguely also the plot of the Odyssey. Um, he doesn't go anywhere, but she's Penelope and Jack Palance is the suitors. And instead of defending his wife and coming back and murdering everyone he just lets her go off you know it's like oh what if odysseus was an asshole basically i think is what this is yeah because he thinks that his wife he was no longer loves him because that's what jerry said was the real meaning of the odyssey and he's like oh yeah i agree with that did she ever tell him about him selling out as a reason he had to figure it out ari okay she's Um, so passive aggressive I don't know if it's explicitly stated, but there were a couple of lines. I mean, I picked it up somehow, so I might have just made it up. But yeah, I picked I picked it up too, and my brain's pretty thick, especially with these things. <laughs> so like, that's not I, true. I don't know, if, but the thing is, I don't know if it was explicitly stated by her to him, and if it was, it was. Well, here's about the thing: two Ari, hours the, of the arguing too late, like, right, selling right. the flat and all that. If if you. You know, if this is your wife and you're in love with her, theoretically, you're at the point where you can kind of just understand what she's upset about, right? You know, I think the fact yeah, that you she might doesn't think get so, but he's upset. trying to figure that out for two hours in the in the bedroom, not in the bedroom of the house. He's denser than you. I, I think another thing is he. There's a couple scenes where in front of her, she'll ask the secretary like, "Oh, what's wrong? You seem upset." Whereas when he's with Brigitte Bardot, it's, "I know why you're upset. It's because I was." I said this to the producer and you don't like him. Like, he thinks he gets her when he doesn't really, you know. I'm not sure. I think he does ask her a few times. He's like, why yeah. Why don't you love me? I don't think they're genuine questions so much as, like, oh, well, I it mean. Just, it, I, she is so petty. She is, she is pretty hard. Like, just how, just not knowing what you have done, I can imagine, to that level would just be so annoying, mm-hmm. right? Because like, she she immediately goes, even at when she's still with um, Jeremy, Jimmy, James, whatever his name is, like, she just starts looking at her naked pictures and just, like, won't talk to him, like, sits alone and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like... Well, maybe if, if part of it is implying, oh, you're selling out, she spends 30 minutes with him, and she, she's like, you're making a movie for this asshole? You know, I think that might be part of it. Now that she's experienced it, she comes out of that saying, yeah, well, I don't like him anymore. And he's like, well, I gotta... Even then, he he basically blames her for, for that. Because when she's like, why are you making this movie? 
He's like, oh, I'm just doing it so I can buy you an apartment. I wouldn't be doing it otherwise. I wouldn't be compromising my art for this American fool if if not for you. Yeah, and all she has to say is like, yo, it's not worth it. Instead of just leading him on and be like, it's yeah, but okay. Then, then I don't, I don't care. Be a movie, I like Ari. it. I like it. <laughs> And it maybe yeah, it the whole movie is just frustrating pettiness. The I I do think it's also the the parts he added. Uh, this has been described. The guy who the cinematographer for it has described this movie as his Jean Luc Godard's apology letter to Anna Karina, who was his wife briefly, and apparently they kind of went through some struggles where he was uh, not really paying attention to her because he was so fixated on doing his own thing. So it's interesting that. The, the one in this film who is wrong, I wouldn't say he's the villain, but Paul is clearly not right in the situation. He's also the one that's a filmmaker. And she's like, I used to like it when you weren't mixed up with this film crowd and you were just writing little little mystery novels, you know? Because mm-hmm. film is dead. Yeah, because film is dead. But it's the American producer who says that. And then Fritz Lang comes out and goes, film is life or whatever he says, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't, there's there's a lot going on. And mm-hmm. I don't know definitively if anything I've said about this is true, but I did, I feel the same about the themes in this that I do in Possession. Like, I'm pretty sure they're there. I don't think I'm making it up. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how clear they are necessarily. No, I, 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 I'm more on board with what you've said here than with like Possession at least, for sure. Uh-huh. Like the themes you have expressed thus far, I am, I'm on board with and I felt like I've gotten those somehow. Yeah. And I mean, like, I guess I I did read some some more about this, and it's like there's there's like color themes going on, like whatever color dress she's wearing indicates, you know, how much she dislikes him at that point in the film, or if she's not wearing a dress at all, I guess that it <laughs> expresses that she likes him still. There's one point where he's wearing like his sheets as a toga, and that's supposed to just indicate like, ah, uh, yes, he is Odysseus at this point, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that part was whatever. That part, no, nah, that's the part with the door, though. So, <laughs> yeah, so you gotta like, like it. <laughs> the door is funny. No, I will say, um, one of our favorite corners in this podcast, phallic imagery. Um, there's probably mm-hmm. a lot, but uh, I did have a favorite in this. Uh, at some point, she sticks her leg in between his legs, and then her foot goes up. And yep. I liked that very much. That was funny. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> did you notice this, Ari? I think I did. Yeah, it was very obvious. No, I did. I definitely her did. Foot was a dick. Well, Phallic, you did mention this when he has the girl bend over to write the check on her back. I yes. I might be pushing this one too far, but maybe as he writes the check, you know, while in a somewhat phallic position with this woman, and he hands the check to to Paul. Maybe that's the movie saying he's fucking Paul over. I don't know. I don't know. Yes, he's writing a fuck, fuck you check. Yeah, yep. clearly, him. clearly. It's a, I see it. I see it. Yeah. And this is after the guy, he has his freak out about the movie and he starts like just throwing film reels everywhere. And apparently... I hated that part too. The, that, the essay I read was like, oh, the way he throws the film reels as if they were a discus... I'm like, okay, what does that mean, though? Like, what, are, <laughs> what does that okay, mean? Okay, so is Jack Palance one of the suitors? You know, is is that him trying to pre- impress Penelope? I don't know. I don't know how that works into the metaphor. But... No, they're critiquing his discus form. Oh, yes, he's... Saying he, he is inept. Yeah. <laughs> he's not good at discus, is what you're saying. Disc- I don't know. He's impotent, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. He has no uh, personality except being an asshole. Jerry? Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's the point of that character is he's a stand-in for the studio. But, like, but it, like, I like it better when Mulholland does it. And I'm not sure I know exactly why. Um, but, yeah. you know, maybe because maybe because it is more, uh, like, it, it's... It's more over the top absurd, even though like Jerry is extremely absurd in this. Like he's uh-huh. he's just totally mm-hmm. over the top. But I feel like that one, uh, it, it feels like it fits more. I think it's a movie that knows it's a movie, you know. Oh, um, clearly, yeah. The, like it's even in the beginning, there's no text on screen. The credits are just spoken out loud. He says, mm-hmm. "I made this film, and I am Jean Luc Godard." You know. Oh, that's him. Um, I I think it's him saying speaking. Oh, wow. Um, I understand that in. Fahrenheit 451. They speak the credits uh, because it's because yeah. they don't they don't read in Fahrenheit yeah. 451, so it makes sense. But uh, in this one, I don't know. I don't know. Also, like, what about the key grip and the gaffer? Like, I'm never gonna know who it was because there wasn't <laughs> credits at the end. Yeah, they're talking about Cinemascope, and the film is shot on Cinemascope. There's literally, as the movie starts, the camera looks into a different camera. You know, like. Um, there's a few points where you can very clearly see the crew and the reflections, and I almost feel like it's not a mistake. It's just kind of to remind you, like, oh, you're watching a movie. You are watching. Like, even, no. even in the very end, right after the car crash, in the bumper of the car, you can very clearly see multiple men moving in with the camera, you know? Hmm. And it might be, it might be, like, a mistake, but I feel like if you're shooting on film and it's gonna be on a big screen, like, these are things you would notice, right? They're not tiny mistakes so i do think it's like hey this is a movie you're watching a film mm-hmm. also speaking of mulholland last line last word of the movie is silencio and i watched this oh, the is? first time yeah the last oh. line of the film is silencio just as the last line in mm. mulholland is silencio that is not a reference because they're not even in the same language this one it's silencio in italian <laughs> that one's silencio in spanish well, maybe but you never know you never know you never um, know now, yeah, never know. I want you to talk about this Chekhov's gun. Oh, gladly. So unless you, unless you had something else you were gonna say. Well, I do have something else I want to talk about. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, right. The Chekhov's gun. Okay, we all know Chekhov's gun. If you show gun, then there has to be gun later. There has to be mm-hmm. someone shot with the gun. Uh, this is what Joe che- Chekhov said um, one time. <laughs> um, now. There's this part in the movie when they're going to go to, like, the theater. I don't even understand the theater part, but uh, that's whatever. Um, they're they're going to go to the theater, and he very obviously, like, takes a gun from the dresser before they go out, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that's Chekhov's gun. Like, oh, he's going to shoot someone later. Uh, but it's so obvious. It's, like, literally, like, it's it, just a shot of that. And, like, it, you know it's going to happen. And then, like, later on, um, when he's, like, packing up or whatever to go to the villa... He, he does it again, or, like, someone gives him the gun or something. Oh, yeah, I think it's, like, the translator gives him the gun. And He's like, like, you dropped this yeah, at like, the boat. <laughs> yeah, like, it, you forgot your gun, uh, sir. Um, and he's like, oh, yes, my gun. Um, and I'm like, this this is this is too stupid. And then at this, this is, like, way too obvious. And then, like, a little bit later, I'm like, they keep drawing so much attention to this. Like, even, okay, now he's not going to shoot someone because it's going to try to, like, play against our expectations and it's like oh you thought there was gonna be someone shot by a gun because of Chekhov's gun but there isn't and uh I was right and I hate it um everything about that they shouldn't have drawn so much attention to it uh in the first place 
And then they also should have just gone through with it if they were going to go draw that much attention to it. Uh huh. That's 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 all I'm saying. And they make it so obvious they're like, oh, 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 he's going to kill the suitor, haha. So which means he's definitely going to shoot Jerry. And I'm like, they're making. I don't know. It that part was just way too overt for me. which yeah, I feel like this movie has a mixture of like I don't like I don't mind an anti Chekhov's gun because it's it's I mean it's subverting your expectations in a way that I don't mind personally. Yeah. I guess look I'm just, I mean I'm just saying that we are, we are intending him to shoot this person. Mm-hmm. Or expecting. Yeah. But I mean like I wouldn't mind yeah. if he if you want me to expect it, then just do a better job of hi- hiding it. Like I don't know, man. Have have or like. Have have a little respect for the viewer. Don't make it so obvious for them. Um, minor spoilers, maybe for an episode of Community, uh, but there's like an amazing Chekhov's gun in this one episode. Do you guys want me to explain it? Do you guys care? Um, hey, it's, it's, sure. It's a single joke in an episode of Community where they they go to like seven different timelines, right? Because they roll a die to do something, and it, it breaks all the timelines. Um, and creates a bunch of timelines. And in the, one of the timelines, you see that this girl has a gun in her purse. And then, like, four timelines later, which is, like, 20 minutes of the episode, uh, it comes back in a separate timeline that, like, someone drops the purse and the gun sh- goes off and shoots someone. And that is the best Chekhov's gun that's ever been done. Um, there you go. Yeah. Very good. But, yeah. Um, what was an- the other thing? The other thing... So, it... Are we the audience supposed to think that Fritz Long's uh, uh, Odyssey is good or not good? See, that's... I was wondering that because Fritz Lang is a good director. Yeah, but is it... Because it seems like he might be supposed to be being made fun of in this. Like, he's not actually playing Fritz Lang. I think he's playing Fritz Lang just because he's very adamant. I made M, you know? Like, Uh um, I think... Because, like, early I mean, on, look, Jerry says that he's fallen off, right? Yeah. Or maybe or But maybe also, what would Jerry know? You know? Yeah, true. The, I think yeah. it's just supposed to be... Because the clips we see, it doesn't look like a great movie. It looks very confusing and strange and weird. Well, that's also is, what I was going to say. Is is that the real movie? Like, when it shows the statues, just, just like, just a video of the statues? Or is that, like, how Paul is seeing the movie as he watches it? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I think that because we watched them filming at the end, and it's just I a guy with a tiny wooden sword. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I don't mean it. In a, I I want I want I want to hear Ari talk. I I feel like I, we keep. No, I thought I thought that was the actual movie though. Uh-huh. I wasn't screen, sure. We see that, but we also see other things, like for example, the naked swimming women. Uh huh. Yeah, but I thought, the, what, be, t- I, I thought that also might. I thought that that might have also just been. Not the movie and his interpretation, but no. But I, Jimmy James Jabaya guy, he uh, <laughs> he referenced it explicitly. No. Yeah, but maybe he's about how he's, something else. More naked women. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not. I I, I I like. Yeah, I I tend to err on the side that it is actually what the movie is. But it's weird because I like that in terms of like an impressionistic thing. Like, ooh, look at these statues. I liked that part. I was like, this is a cool part. And but I thought <laughs> initially that that was what he was imagining. Because that would that wouldn't make sense in a real movie. Why they just keep shooting statues of? of it, it wouldn't, but I think that's the point. Is it's it's so explicitly not what's in the script, and that's a cue for the audience to be like, okay, so the producer's upset that this is not scripted. It's just some random shit, and we're supposed to side with the auteur. 
whether or not that would actually make a good movie, I think it wouldn't. But I, I think like it's it. just <laughs> supposed to be indicative of, oh, look, this is an artsy film that he's making. And hmm. Jack Palance is the villain because he wants a script, you know? Yeah, but is he the villain? When because, even like, even I most mean... of the dialogue in the movie is improvised, apparently. So mm-hmm. I don't know about most, but, but a like, good amount know, of it. I'd be mad if, if, that w- if that was the movie that the director I hired to make made. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's just... That's just an artifact of it being the new wave, is we're supposed to be upset that that's the movie, you know. Um, I like it because it's Fritz Lang. If it was just some random guy, I'd be like, okay, that's mm-hmm. bullshit. But if it's him, I'm like, okay, maybe maybe it's some, maybe it's there's something there, I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe one day when the Odyssey... I like the character more out. now because it's him. Yeah, I, I believe it's not even an exaggerated version. I think it is just him playing himself. It's a okay. shame this movie wasn't made a few years later because then it'd be Fritz Lang with eye patch. Because he wore an Ooh. eye patch in the last few years of his life. Um, nice. It's, oh. It looks like a very uncomfortable monocle. It's not even got a rim. It looks like he's just holding a piece of glass with his eye. <laughs> Does not look comfortable. <laughs> the early, the earliest contacts. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. The the thing with this movie is, I'll admit, it's not even the best thing to come out of the new wave. It's not the most new wave movie. But I do like thinking about this movie. I do think there's a lot to consider in it. And even though it's not perfect, I'd still argue it. Like, I'm still debating whether or not it's even an 8. Like, it might still be like... I gave it a 7 the first time. It might be like a 7.5 for me now. But I do think that there's enough going on to keep it interesting. Mm-hmm. It just suffers from pacing, especially near the end. Um, It comes off kind of like a play for a lot of the middle of it. But I do like when they're just arguing in their house. That's the part of the movie I think is the best. Because it's... I mean, you can say, oh, that's where nothing happens. I'd argue that's where everything happens. That's where we watch the actual contempt coming out, you know? And I I like that because everything that they bring up in the argument is something we've seen already. Like, they're not referring to their life outside of the movie. It's just what's happened and then what's going on in the room, if that makes sense. Like, it's a self-contained scene. Um, I like that. I like that I don't mm-hmm. have to pretend that these characters have lives outside of the movie because they don't, you know? Um, I, I just enjoy the idea of this movie, I think. Is, is, it, is it as insane as Weekend? No. I mean, I'm sure I would have enjoyed it far more. Far more if what? I was going to say, I would have liked it far more if just that scene was significantly shorter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. And like, I, I, like, I, I, hate... I mean, it's not like any of these parts individually are too terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it'd be hard to argue this is a bad movie. I can also absolutely see someone saying, "Yeah, it's boring," because even people that like Jean Luc Godard tend to say, "Oh, this is one of his more questionable films." I disagree. I think because it's not like his other ones, that's what makes it fun. <laughs> is that he's trying something different. It's mm-hmm. funny to see that someone trying something different is making a normal movie. Um, but I think that's kind of the point of it, is that it's a movie about, you know, getting controlled by a studio. It's a movie about whatever. And then it's also, at the same time, a romantic story or a non-romantic story, I guess. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think I and like also, it. Like- yeah, and also like I should clarify, like I I I don't think it's necessarily boring. 
Um, uh-huh. I just, I guess, and like, this probably like is, is, you know, it's a double-edged sword, but um, I, I kind of wish it had more plot. And I know that like plot-heavy yeah. stuff isn't always great, um, but that is something that I was like, this would, it, it reminded me almost of like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, how I, when I was watching that movie, I was like, it's a shame that pretty much this entire movie takes place over the course of one day. Because I think this would be really interesting, for me at least, if it kind of had more going on and kind of followed, you know, a, a longer span of time, had more, like, plot arcs and stuff. Yeah. Felt the same Ari, about this. if I could also just ask you, because I know you're not a fan of fourth wall breaks, do you have problems with the parts in this movie where they basically say, hey, we're making a movie, look at this camera, look at this? There's a lot of shots of clapboards and stuff. Do you have I mean, problems with any of that? Nope. No, because, I mean, if you're making a movie about movies or about making movies, those are necessities, you know? You can't pretend mm-hmm. clapboards don't exist, you know? And, of course, people who make movies are going to be... You're going to see more movies about people making movies than any other industry because people who make movies make movies. I, I hope that yeah. came out sounding, like, with some logic to it. But um, Oh, yes. Yeah, movie, that makes movie, sense. movie. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, the most annoying one, I guess was when the, the camera's pointed right at this us but you know um, i didn't mind because this doesn't feel as pretentious, pretentious in general and also especially for a french new wave film apparently but um mm-hmm. also because it was at the beginning the very beginning where we it was kind of dissociated with the rest of the movie where we because we got to see you know how they made the movie you know with the tracking thing i thought that was interesting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I only I I count that as kind of like a separate thing to the movie, like a a blooper at the end. Uh huh. Yeah, instead of the blooper in the end credits, it's in the opening credits. What about there's a scene that I completely forgot was in there where they go to a theater. Um, yeah, I don't and know. There's a very there. loud song, and then when they talk, it just cuts the song out. just completely cuts out. I liked it. I don't know why. Nah, that that wasn't it. I I, no, I like that, that in theory. It. Actually, I like it. Period. But I was thinking. Like, hey, there's an interesting choice because in, I'm thinking, there's a, in uh, the Twin Peaks movie, uh, in Fire Walk With Me, there's a scene that's very, very loud, and instead of having us hear the characters, David Lynch just puts subtitles, because he's like, well, it's so loud, you can't hear them, so they need subtitles. <laughs> I'm like, this is an interesting way to get around that, is to completely cut off the noise. Yeah. I'm like, uh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I might have liked it better if they just made it a little bit quieter. Yeah. My favorite part is they're not even shouting. The music cuts out. Yeah, that's what I don't get. That, that, that's what I don't get is because I thought I literally thought about that. I was watching. I was like, if I'm to assume that the music is still going on, they can't hear each other at all. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, like it, it, the the fact that like none of them are speaking the same language. Um, I, but yeah, I feel like it was cool because in real life sound and what you can focus on is relative you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i feel and like also a lot of times audio will capture it differently if i'm in a theater and i record something like on my phone or even on a really good microphone i might not be able to hear the person next to me relative to the volume however in real life your brain can kind of focus certain certain things out and that's exactly what i felt was tr- i'm not sure if that's what they're going for but that's what I got from it. And that's a realistic thing. Mm-hmm. I assume that's what they're doing. Yeah. 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 I remember you even talking about that like last episode or something. Yeah. Maybe. That you like that. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, it felt like something I shouldn't like because of what it was, but I mean, I actually enjoyed it. <laughs> I can't stress enough, though, that, like, I love the way this movie looks. Uh, it, it was big, it, the same kind of reaction that I had when I watched Chinatown. I was like, this is yeah. really well shot. Um, it and flows I, so much. Yeah. All, all this stuff, like, in their house, you know, and all that framing is great. The tracking mm-hmm. shots, obviously, are really good. Um, yeah. When this movie, you know, it, it, it just it just gets a little bit um, n- uh, knocked points-wise for me when, like, it, it feels, like I was saying earlier, that this has been set up for the viewer to watch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's there's a happy medium somewhere between, like, realistic Paul Greengrass, Jason Bourne stuff, where it's like, <laughs> you're there, um, and, like, this kind of smoother stuff. Yeah. But it is fun that... Uh... Fritz Lang says, Cinemascope is meant only for snakes and funerals. And then this movie is shot in Cinemascope, and I don't know. I think it works. I don't I see no snakes. I see no funerals. Well, um, I do like the, yeah. uh, I do like the cinematography as well. I thought it looked beautiful. Um, but one shot where they get the theater and the people and Jimmy in it, where, like, you can see, like, the top of... That made me... I don't. I couldn't see how that was artistically cool. I'm just like that looks bad. That looks like you couldn't fit them in, and then that literally just ruined it for me. Mm-hmm. Thinking back about, on it, uh, Ari, I know you don't always notice score, but I'd be shocked if you didn't notice the score, seeing as it's used approximately a hundred times in this movie. Uh-huh. Like, did you like the theme? I think I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. I like. I don't remember uh, hating it. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, no, it's so good. I, I, I like it a lot. I was going to say back, I'm, I'm going to go back to the cinematography thing, so if you have something mm-hmm. to say about the music, then. Uh, I was just going to say, even though it is used constantly, it never feels, like, overused. Like, it is used as a theme, you know? Like, oh, hammer that one home, kids. It's basically like a sting in a soap opera. Like, when yeah. the music kicks in, it's like, oh, okay, yeah. now I'm thinking. It's like, I've only seen the first episode of Twin Peaks, but it's like the music cues in that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, Twin Peaks is another... Oh, that... There are five songs in Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all great. Yeah. Um, back, back to the cinematography thing, one thing I just remembered is that there's, like... Um, I don't know if a frame within frame is the right term here, but, like, borders, uh, mm. you know, dividing lines between the shot to show that they're divided. Um, it yeah. works uh, sometimes and doesn't work other times for me. One example that I didn't like it was when they're talking and it keeps like passing over this lamp. And I was like, I was going to say the lamp is, is part that I like is you that's like when that. they're most, cause I think that's when they're most physically divided. Cause when they're in the theater, there's a fun part where it's going back and forth mm-hmm. and there's just a guy in the middle with a camera or an empty like hallway. But then in that one, that's, they're not only spatially separated in the frame but there is literally something in between them yeah i i just think that's to indicate like this is the point where they've been furthest apart in the whole movie i get it Um, but it just felt very obvious to me um yeah yeah, like 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 i guess that is one of my biggest things about the movie is that i like what it does sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's really over but i was gonna say one time that i do like it a lot is like I remember something like he's laying on a rock in the villa and then like she's swimming in the ocean and it is like the rock kind of like cuts perfectly down the middle. But I thought that was a much, much cooler imagery there. I might use that as a thumbnail. I'm still I I was going to use the stairs, but the stairs might be too visually linear, I guess. I think Mm -hmm. I'm going to use that. Um, Well, I don't know if this is like I think a movie about 
movies, maybe it makes sense that you like some parts of it and not others because you like some movies and dislike others. Well, that that is that is true. Ari, do you have anything else to say or? Um, I think I've covered most of my opinions on this film. Yeah, we talked about this longer than I thought we would. Um, well, so you, had, you had a good, you had a good history mm-hmm. lesson. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll see how much of that gets left in. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess we'll do questions next time. Yeah. Because this has already been pretty long. I don't I'm know hungry. if we have any questions, but I did see something. Um... Oh, Rita has been leaving many, many questions. No, never mind. We have, a, we have a fan recommendation, but it is not time imperative. It is between now and April. Uh, oh, what? Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, well, we'll do okay. it next time then, because we a have... A lot of content two movies next time don't we Wes go ahead and tell us about our next episode correct next episode (laughs) is episode 65 it is a multiple of five which you know what that means we're having a guest Uh, and this one is a new guest um, and actually uh, one that we didn't go to high school with wow Uh, crazy first time Uh, yes it is it is my uh, one of my college roommates Shane he's a film major so uh, ostensibly he likes movies but I guess maybe not that much because uh, he didn't recommend a movie for this time. Uh, but I am actually very excited for what he recommended. Um, he recommended an anime series. Um, yes, we've done anime movies. What? Uh, but Wesley, we don't do TV on this podcast. We do movies. Uh, 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 shut up. We don't do uh, Death of 2020 either. I, I don't know. I don't know where we I'm don't going do with TV that. specials. Yeah, we don't do TV specials. Hey, we also um, did a short film. This is true, yes. We also did Jack and Jill, which we is not a film. We also did a series, which is not um, a film. Even if it was a series <laughs> yeah. of films that I recommended. Oh, that's right, that's right, yeah. Yes, but uh, yeah, like, like, like I was saying, we've done anime movies on this. Uh, they've almost always been like guests or fan recommendations. But yes, we're doing an anime series. Uh, I myself, you know, I like to dabble in anime series, but I, I don't watch a ton. And the reason for oh. that is because they're so long. There's so much stuff. And, like, yes, normal TV series can also be pretty long. Um, but some of these, like, Naruto is probably, like, 500 episodes or something. It's, like, I don't, I can't, right? Like, no matter how good it is, uh, even if it's, like, as good as Game of Thrones, I don't even think I could, like, binge that whole thing uh, by myself. But I do like watching anime series that are, are shorter. And he's luckily chosen uh, one of the shortest ones I've ever heard of uh, because there's only six episodes. It's uh, six 30-minute episodes so it'll just come out to a total of three hours, probably even less, because they're usually like 24 minutes because of like ads and whatever. Um, mm. So, you know, it, it won't be too big of a commitment, hopefully, for you guys. Uh, but we will be watching the, uh, let me just find the year that this came out, the 2000 anime series, Fooly Cooly. Um, it's it's actually spelled F-L-C-L, but it is pronounced Fooly Cooly. Um I don't really know anything about this other than I used to see ads for it on Adult Swim when I would watch Rick and Morty, so make of that what uh-huh. you will. Um, and where yeah. can we find this, Wesley? Where can you watch? find this? Where can you find this legally? You can find it on Hulu for a premium su- subscription. Hmm. Uh, yes, if you have if you have a premium subscription for Hulu, uh-huh. I, I think I don't know I don't know how Hulu works, um, but that is you can also watch it anywhere else um, and maybe uh, other places that you know. The legitimacy of those are still in question. But I did make sure to ask this. Um, he has requested... He has requested... It is uh, on Kiss Cartoon. Let's go! 
<laughs> I mean, has, I've never heard of this. He has requested that we watch the English dub, okay? So we're going oh, dub, okay. not sub for this one, because he said the dub is actually good. Oh, I gotta find, okay. Never mind, it's not on Kiss Cartoon. But yes, Fully Cooly, the entire first season, there's three seasons, but we're just watching the first season. Six episodes, 30 minutes long. Um, yes, that'll be a yeah. good time. Now, on to my recommendation. Um, when, when we initially were going to invite Shane on, or like, yeah, when we were talking about this, uh, I speculated what, what movies he might recommend. Um, I did think that an anime movie uh, was definitely possible because he, he loves anime. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was also thinking that it could be a bad movie. You know, it, he loves to watch a Neil Breen. Um, uh, we've watched mm-hmm. Paul Blart and Mall Cop together. Um, we tried uh-huh. watching Paul Blart and Mall Cop 2 together, but it just isn't good. Like, it's not even, <laughs> like, bad funny. It's just really boring. Um, uh-huh. So I figured maybe I'll do the bad movie instead. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a, it, it's not just a bad movie. I, I, I've asked him. He hasn't seen it, although he has seen, like, maybe uh, you could say a counterpart to it. Um, I don't believe either of you guys have seen this movie, um, but... I'm just I'm I'm dragging this on, but but I oh I, I got I gotta do it to you guys. Uh, Shane, like me, um, we're gamers, okay? We're gamer oh, girls. No. We like to play video games. Th- this is this is no surprise. Uh, I've recommended two video game based movies to the podcast, and one of them was just like 15 minutes long with the Uncharted movie. Uh, the other one was Super Mario Brothers. Um, we know how that went, okay? Uh, so I'm excited for another uh, another fun discussion in the vein of Super Mario Brothers uh, on the 1994 uh, film Street Fighter. Uh, oh my god! So yes, <laughs> boys. Uh, I don't really know much about Street this. Street Fighter in an anime. Yes, I I, <laughs> I I don't even think I've ever played a Street Fighter game before. Um, but this one is notoriously bad. Shane has seen Mortal Kombat, which is a different one that I was. Uh, considering yeah. recommending that, but I figured uh, because none of us have seen Street Fighter, we'll go with that Someone one. Someone asked me like yesterday if I had seen Street Fighter. <laughs> that was me in a trench coat. <laughs> oh um, no! Just to make sure that you hadn't. <laughs> um, but yes. So once All again, right. that's oh my god, it's yeah, Jean Claude Van Damme. Okay. <laughs> it, yes. Next time, uh, watch the entire first season of Fully Cooly and the 1994 Street Fighter movie. Um, it, it, I think it'll be a good time, so I, I hope y'all are excited for that. But anyway, that wraps it up for episode 64 of Postpone, the official podcast of Pone. We got a YouTube channel, uh, we got an Instagram, we got a, we got a Reddit. Uh, leave us some questions, um, we'll get to next time. Uh, leave us a recommendation, um, and uh, leave, us a, leave us a good rating on whatever your preferred pos- podcast platform is. Um, uh-huh. And with that, have a good day, everyone. Bye-bye.